TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty-five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty-five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Welcome to Overnight America with Ryan Recker on KMOX. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts. Michael'sFlooringOutlet.com. And Overnight America continues for one more hour. Thanks for spending it with us. I mean, you decide to spend it with us. All right. We're going to have an interview that I uh, replay from Tuesday with Dan Valone. It's uh, about building trust and civility through discussions. I thought it was a really good conversation. In fact, we find that sometimes it's difficult to keep composure, right, when you're online. But luckily, online is not the real you. So if you're going to just sit down like it's Thanksgiving and you're going to start talking about, oh, I don't know, anything, how do you bring it up in a way that is productive? And that's a good question. Sometimes people don't really know the right way to do it other than to go full-blown, I'm going to wag my finger in your face. So this will be a good thing for all of us to learn, I think, if you are going to be talking to people that you disagree with and it never goes well. You know, I wanted to talk just a little bit about movies because I saw there was this one story that AMC is going to start renting out their whole movie theater for 100 bucks. So there's a limited movies you can choose from. But the whole idea is, hey, there's no one coming and there's no new releases. So what do we do? So how about we just rent the screens out? 100 bucks, you get to watch a movie at AMC and you have to register a time. And it's actually something that I, I wanted to go and look for myself. Oh, they got any openings? I think they're booked all the way till November. So apparently people are really taking advantage of this. I think it's a cool idea. And AMC theaters, they're across St. Louis, so there's different ones. There, there might be like three dozen movies you can choose from. Some are adult movies. Some are kids' movies. When I say adult, like, you know, R-rated, whatever. Kids' movies, you know, they got some Disney ones in there and things. So there's a pretty good variety of stuff and I messaged my wife I said this might be something fun to do we'll get some of our friends together with the kids we don't have to worry about them being loud in the theater you get the movie theater popcorn and the big soda and you have the whole screen to yourself that might be a fun thing to do so uh maybe I don't know if you saw that but there's been some other stories written up about it amctheaters.com if you wanted to try to do that for yourself it's too bad you can't pick your own movie if, if, if you couldn't bring yours with you, they got just a limited selection in that one. But wouldn't that be neat to pick whatever movie to put on the screen? That would be fun. And unfortunately, I missed it. I think Marcus Theaters last summer put out Back to the Future on the big screen. I didn't get a chance to go see it. I really should have. Too bad my son was too young. I could have taken him to the theater to go see it for the first time. Now, I'm a little bit too young to have seen Back to the Future in the movies. 
before it actually um, you know was released on VHS. I do remember going to see Back to the Future 3 at the movie theater. Uh, one and two, I was too young. Three, I think, came out almost right after two. But I remember my parents taking me. I remember going to the movie theater. I remember them putting up a train display inside of the lobby of the movie theater to promote this movie, and I thought that was pretty cool. I remember walking out of the movie, feeling good about it and everything. It was late at night. You get to go see a movie with the family. I was pretty pumped about it. And Back to the Future just happens to be my favorite film franchise. So um, that would be kind of cool to relive that again. I, I know there's other things out there and just try to relive it with my kid if he even cared, but he doesn't. You know what uh, Kevin Klein did? This is actually pretty interesting. Now, I, I know I've seen other movies when I was younger. I'm sure my parents took me to Disney movies, cartoons, things that were more age appropriate than Back to the Future. Not that Back to the Future was necessarily terrible for children, but it's definitely not a kid's movie. And Kevin Klein started doing that, and it just kind of fits in with his latest whole other story, which he messaged me earlier and said, this one's a little bit different than the ones I'm used to doing. I can't wait to hear it. Chim, chimini, chim, chimini, chim, chim, a sweep is as lucky as lucky can be. My first movie, which my parents took us to when I was five years old, was Mary Poppins. There was, of course, Mary with her umbrella and the, some cartoon characters in there. But what I remember most of all is this scene with chimney sweep Dick Van Dyke. You might think a sweep. At five years old, I had no idea what a chimney sweep was or what this song was all about. But I can remember latching on to the sadness of this song and humming it all that summer afterwards. I still hum it now and then when I'm at City Hall. In an abrupt transition to a completely different kind of movie. My dad took us boys in 1968 to see Planet of the Apes, which starred the same actor we had seen at Easter playing Moses. Charlton Heston as the astronaut stranded on a strange planet being chased through a cornfield by apes. This was wonderful entertainment for us boys. Unlike Mary Poppins, Planet of the Apes unleashed our adrenaline glands. Why did you run away? Security police. I'm in charge of this man. No longer, madam. He is now in the custody of the Ministry of Science. Take your sticking paws off me, you damn dirty ape. And that's why most men would rather watch Terminator than Pride and Prejudice. But life isn't all about adrenaline and chase scenes. With a whole nother story, I'm Kevin Killeen. Wow, how about that? The memories of movies and going and seeing these things. Isn't that something? It's amazing how sometimes those are the type of memories that get stuck in your head. Yeah, he remembers going at such a young age. I don't remember much movie-wise before Back to the Future. I had to look it up. I was seven when that came out. So I kind of remember. I think I just turned seven. So it wasn't like I was you know, seven for a long time. So six to seven, somewhere in there. Yeah, it's it's tough, I got to say. Way to go, Kevin Kling coming up with a great whole nother story. One other thing, too, I don't know if you saw this coming out of Disney, but 
Disney has decided to do something just a little bit different with some of their older movies. So what does Dumbo and Peter Pan have in common? Hmm. What does Dumbo and Peter Pan have in common? Disney Plus subscribers will now be given a content warning for those movies. It's created, uh, let's see, Disney created a Stories Matter initiative, which organizations like the African-American Film Critics Association, Coalition of Asian Pacifics and Entertainment, and GLAAD have reviewed Disney films and offered feedback for content deemed problematic. Isn't that great? So Disney has to outsource to say, hey, we uh, we feel guilty for all those times we may have uh, used something in poor taste compared to today's standards. You know, let's not forget that these things came out decades ago, but still. Oh, we gotta we gotta be guilty about everything all the time. So we gotta be sensitive and guilty. That's the the history of pretty much everything in the future. So apparently they're gonna be putting a warning out. <laughs> Movies with Dumbo. There's a warning that the crows in the musical number pay homage to racist minstrel shows. Well, uh, let's see. So they're gonna put that out there. Let's see. What does Peter Pan has various depictions of uh, Native Americans being mocked? Oh. I don't remember these. You know, that's the thing. I, I really don't remember these things. It can't be that important. I mean, when you're a kid, do you even pick up on these things? You know, you, this is what I think of. And we don't swear in our household. I don't swear in general. I do everything I can not to say a swear word. If I say a swear word, I immediately, um, like, put my hand over my mouth. And I said, I can't believe I just said that. Like, sometimes that happens on accident. And it's it's luckily, it's no one's around. <laughs> you know, it's just strange. Um but if you're around a child, and you probably know this, and some families are, you know, you recognize that sometimes things that kids shouldn't hear, they hear. What's the worst thing you can do? Okay, I'll, I'll uh, give you a second to answer this Jeopardy style. Worst thing you can do is repeat it and make it into a big deal. So if something happens and a kid hears something they shouldn't hear, certainly that could be easy. In today's public atmosphere, you could be at a restaurant and you think it's family friendly and it's really not. And the next thing you know, the kid hears something they shouldn't hear. Worst thing you can do is make a big deal about it because then all of a sudden the kid thinks, ooh, I need to remember this. But if it just gets like swept under the rug with the rest of the adult talk, they don't catch any of that sort of thing. Do you think maybe some of these things in these movies are kind of like that when you draw attention to it? Now all of a sudden the kids are going to get something in their head that they shouldn't and Maybe it's worse than, I don't know, uh, not doing anything to begin with. Uh, maybe. I don't know. There could be a portion of that. But uh, then again, uh, are we really in our households? Like if you were to pull out a VHS tape of some of these old Disney classics, are you going to sit your kid down first and say, son, we need to have a talk about the movie you're about to see? Does that happen? Like do parents really? No, they don't. That's. Uh, it might be just being a little bit overboard, but... I guess this is what Disney feels like they need to do. Certainly, I guess they can in their streaming services. All right, coming up next, we are going to replay an interview that we have about keeping at least civility through our political discussions. Dan Valone's joining us on Overnight America KMOX. Now back to Overnight America on KMOX. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts. Michaelsflooringoutlet.com. Joining us now is someone that wants to find common ground, U.S. Director of More in Common, Dan Valone. Thank you so much for coming on to KMOX. Hi, Ryan. Happy to be here. 
I, I do appreciate the time here today. And when I think about common ground, finding things that unite us instead of those things that divide us, I wonder how much of a commitment there actually is, because I feel like most people, if you were to just blindly survey them, oh, would you want to find middle ground? Would you want to find things you have in common? They would all say yes, but then individually, if you were to look at their habits, it's the exact opposite. <laughs> Uh, it's it's definitely true that I think there's a lot of forces that are pulling people apart right now. And we'll see. I think that actually will be really interesting uh, of late. Unity has become a much more uh, salient part of the political conversation. And so I think we'll actually be able to look back and assess the degree to which a desire for greater unity, less conflict was a motivation for folks across the political spectrum as they vote this fall. Uh, but it is—it's a tough moment to try and to try and find common ground, uh, and that's why we've launched this new initiative, Democracy for President. Yeah. Do your friends say you're overly optimistic? <laughs> uh, I, I think of it as pragmatically optimistic. I think okay, that good. there is a, a lot of reasons to be to believe that we can do this while still be very cognizant of the challenge and the magnitude of the challenge. Okay. So, more in common is a nonpartisan nonprofit. And what really is your goal here? What are you setting out to do? So we're trying to empower Americans with all of the tools, guidance, and data they need to have difficult conversations. We know it is hard uh, to have a conversation, particularly with somebody who has a different political view. And so we're going to walk you through that process and give you a ton of tools on our website, democracyforpresident.com, to walk you through how you have those conversations on issues such as mail-in voting, the safety of the election, the security of the election, the timeline of results, and why our democracy matters, why it actually we have to try and find ways to work together because that's the only way our democracy ultimately works. Okay. So let's, let's kind of go through one of those uh, constructive dialogues because a lot of people do talk about mail-in voting. It's uh, controversial mm-hmm. in some sense because uh, there's the integrity of the election. Some people look at it as an access and it should be available more widely. And then there's all these different views when it comes to it. So if we were to take that one individual topic, how would you look at the approaches to that topic and how would you coach someone to have a conversation civilly on a topic like that? Yeah, absolutely. So the first step we always say is, again, fine, you know, if, let's assume that I believe that mail-in voting is safe, secure, trustworthy. It should be, it should be you know, expanded and used this year because of coronavirus. And if I'm talking to somebody who has questions, concerns, or skepticism about mail-in voting, the first step is assume that the other person hold, holds that belief for reasons that are important to them. Don't dismiss their belief or think that it's just because they don't have the right facts or information. And so acknowledge like this, this year has been challenging. And so it's okay to have questions and concerns about mail-in voting. That's the first step. Mm-hmm. And then the second step would be to actually ask you, so tell me about this. What, what about mail-in voting uh, do you have questions about? What, what makes you concerned about mail-in voting? Mm-hmm. I can answer and, that. Well, I definitely have problems with mail-in voting. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it could be a good thing. this could be good. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, I mean, it would be, yeah. be great, Ryan. Okay, do you want to just role-play this, and I can kind of tell you, and we can kind of see where... Because I'm, I'm more curious of how you would lead a conversation like this, and I just want to kind of see how you facilitate something like this. So we can role-play, and I can, I can tell you what my uh, objections are, and then I would be curious on how you would react to that. Yeah, sure. I think that, okay. that sounds good. 
Okay, this is interesting because people are watching. It's almost like we're at a seminar and you call someone out of the audience and you say, okay, if we need a volunteer and you bring them up and then you do this and then you look at the crowd and you say, see, he's saying this and this is how you react to this. So this is good. It's like almost uh, the audience here tonight gets to see it firsthand. So when I look at mail-in voting, I look at the infrastructure that we have in place. We have something that has always helped in the past when it comes to absentee ballot, which is something that people are requesting. But to send out unsolicited ballots make it very more it makes it much more difficult to verify those and it also makes it more difficult to make sure it gets to the right people so it's going to take a lot more time to verify the votes that are coming in in a timely fashion we just don't have the infrastructure in place yet to do that it doesn't mean we won't have the infrastructure i just don't think we'll have it in time for this election sure no i appreciate that ryan thank you and so it sounds as though to me what you're talking about is you're concerned that Again, we don't have the infrastructure set up, and so there's a concern about getting things counted, validated, verified in time. So time, timeliness of this is a concern. And then it also seems like there might be some concerns just about th- this is something new. And so how do we ensure that there is security in place to verify that you know, folks are who they say they are when they submit their ballot? Does that, does that sound about right? It's a big part of it, yes. Yeah. No, and I, you know, I'll be, I'll be honest, I share, a, a, you know, I care a lot about the election security as well. I started my career in the Army. I voted by mail a lot when I was in the service, and I appreciate the degree to which the military goes to make sure it is a safe and very secure process that you can track and verify along the ways. And so I think it's good. It's a good thing to care about the security of our election, and I think all of us as voters have a responsibility to do our own part, to fill out ballots accurately, to stay informed about what our local election officials are doing, to verify and validate voters, and then to follow our ballot. If there's a, if there's a way that we can actually watch the ballot come through and walk through the process, that gives us agency to make sure the system is working. Mm-hmm. And then here's what I would say is where you and I probably can find some common ground on this, is that it is a new new moment and it's challenging. The folks at the local level, so the folks in St. Louis who are gonna manage the election, they're committed to making it work. So we might be divided at the national level, but in St. Louis, the majority of the election workers, the poll workers, the folks who are in charge of actually administrating the system, they care a lot about making this work. And so we gotta do our part, and then we also have to have confidence that they're gonna deliver a free and fair, safe and secure election. Very good. You sound like a politician. <laughs> a very good one. That's what it sounds like. I don't know. I don't right. know how to take that. I don't know. I don't know, Ryan. <laughs> you get a little uh, shudder when you hear that. Oh, so okay, so Dan Valone is the U.S. Director of More in Common. That's interesting when you have a conversation and it, it's very disarming. So if you were to take something that someone's coming in hot and heavy, if, if you talk to them and say, oh, yeah, that's an interesting point. Um, we, we can find some common ground in the sense that we want uh, integrity in this election, we want it to be fair, and then you move on and, and you mention that, hey, there's a lot of people dedicated to doing that very same thing. It does, it, it really de-escalates a lot of things, and it, it does make you feel more connected to the person you're talking to. That's kind of, that's one of the keys, and then the other key part is don't make the conversation about you being right and the person having to change their mind. Like That's just not going to happen. And so try and find ways to say, look, here's what we both care about. And, you know, acknowledging uncertainty and acknowledging the fact that the person has a valid viewpoint, here's something that we both care about, and here's a reason why we can, 
we can have confidence that the system is going to work this year and that folks are going to do their best job to to deliver an election that we can be proud of when we look back at this moment. That's great. U.S. Director of More in Common, Dan Vallone. Do you mind holding on after the break? We can continue talking about this. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Ryan. That'd be great. So check them out online. By the way, Dan, what's a good website for you guys? Sure. It's democracyforpresident.com. Very good. We'll be right back and we'll continue with Dan Vallone on Overnight America KMOX. Dan Vallone is the U.S. Director of More in Common. It aims to rebuild trust and civility as we have these political discussions that seem to happen all over the place. Democracy for President, you can find them online. And again, thank you so much, Dan, for joining us tonight on Overnight America. Yeah, no, thank you, Ryan. It's great to be with you. All right, so I I know you're going to hate this question, but you sound very calm. Do you do yoga? <laughs> Uh, I, I, not as often as I should, but I, I have done it. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a believer. Okay. So the, the, the way, the only reason I ask this is because I think some people get into a certain frame of mind and when they think in a certain frame of mind, it helps them approach topics more civil and not everyone gets into that frame of mind. So how much of this is actually just relaxing and not allowing stress to dictate, uh, everything you do online or in person? It's a, it's a significant part, Ryan. So more in common, we do a lot of public opinion research. That's one of our kind of core areas of, of expertise. And what we do is we apply cutting edge research from social psychology to how we understand why people believe what they believe, why they act what they why they act what they act. And one of the biggest kind of features of our research has drawn on Jonathan Haidt's work from Moral Foundations Theory. And one of the one of the findings or one of the kind of statements he has is if someone's worldview kind of predisposes them to disagree with you, then when you're talking to them, the question that is running in their mind is, do I have to believe this? Is there any kind of evidence that I can hang my hat on to disagree with you or disprove whatever, whatever it is you're asserting? So the more calm you are when you come into that conversation, the more capable you are going to be of recognizing that. And instead of trying to convince them to or persuade them too hard, Again, shifting the conversation towards something you have in common and making it a conversation about us instead of you and me or you versus me. Hmm. Yeah, well, it's interesting. Do I have to believe this? It seems a lot of the discussions that we have, at least if we were to, uh, if we were to think social media is what the actual town square is anymore, which it's hmm. not. But let's just say a lot of the discussions we have with strangers happen on a platform that's public for people to read, and you reacting or talking, and it. I, I don't know, maybe 20% of the conversation is civil when you're talking to someone else. A lot of it is sometimes, that, you know, trying to make it so everyone thinks a certain way or maybe forced think as in, um, if you don't believe this, we're going to publicly shame you. Or if you do have a different way of looking at this, regardless of why you're coming to this opinion, if it's against what the majority believes or what it looks like, we're just going to gang up on you. So that type of way of thinking that you see on social media, I've seen it as being very dangerous. I've seen it as being very harmful to people. It doesn't really help civility. So um, part of this whole idea, this hanging your hat and things that you people feel like, am I forced to believe this sort of thing? It seems like in the more recent years, thanks to social media, more and more people feel like they're forced to or have to uh, take stances on things they wouldn't normally take stances on, or they're forced to believe things that, that uh, go against what they may actually truly believe but they feel like the lesser of the two evils is just to go along with it um 
does that is that like an observation that you would agree with or maybe it's a little bit more nuanced than that no i i agree with it i think so there's we've done research on this and then several other groups uh cato institute published something earlier this year they looked more at through the lens of self-censorship so the degree to which people feel as though they have to restrain from voicing their opinion in some part because they are concerned about judgment, and that cuts across demographics, ideology. What we have also found to be true when we looked at this is people who post political content online it's, are, are overwhelmingly likely to be among the more uh, activist extreme and extreme and have more extreme political views relative to kind of the median voter on either side of the spectrum. And so what we find is that if you look on, online, it is really unrepresentative, but then it gets kind of picked up and presented as like, this is the viewpoint of Democrats, Republicans, and, and, you know, whatever category we want to use. And that, and then people believe that that's, that, that, it, that influences how we, what we think of the average person, even though it's not at all representative of what the average person feels. Wow. Uh, this might be interesting. It's kind of a weird thing. But when, since I come from a media background and since I do a radio talk show and I think about how certain shows become popular, a lot of it is, you know, you have to be controversial or you have to be confrontational. You know, There's certain little things that different shows do in order to try to gain some no, notoriety or some um, some fame or whatever to get ratings. And I know you're coming at this from a way to encourage constructive dialogue and you're trying to find common ground. So I'm curious if you think there's a hunger for this type of content where people are just out there looking for this type of conversation, or do you believe that when it comes to their entertainment, it's it's more in theory they like this sort of thing, but they still kind of gravitate towards the more polarizing talk? I think it's a great question, Ryan, and I have a lot of a, a couple different thoughts. So the first is, I think there is some appetite for. So we know that there are many great groups out there. Uh, there's a group called Braver's Angel, Braver Angels. There's a group, People Supper, One America Movement, who are intentionally bringing together people who want to work across political, race, um, generational differences. They, they actively want to reduce the sense of conflict. I, I don't know how widespread that kind of appetite is. Like you said, if you ask somebody, well, you know, the option between watching Program A, which has this kind of civil dialogue, versus Option B, which is you know, more, more animated and, and contentious, like that's, you know, mm-hmm. the media data, data would suggest they're going to gravitate towards the contentious. I think it's a false choice. I think you can have engaging, really animated content that doesn't necessarily present the degree of hostility that we see in a lot of social media. And I, I again, I, this is my first time on your show and I don't, so I don't really know the dynamic, but you have an audience, you have, you have a community and everybody listening to, to you and participating in this they're learning a bit about and shaping their opinions of other, other Americans, other folks from St. Louis. And so you're doing this, like you're shaping it. And so there is a way that we can have more spaces that aren't necessarily just about meeting in the middle, but that actively create perceptions of each other that are positive, accurate, and, and allow us to believe that we're, we have more in common than what divides us. Wow. Are there any topics that you just cannot meet in the middle? I mean, so it's an interesting question because at the, at the root of most issues is actually a question of identity. So whether it's guns, immigration, climate change, if you boil down and you drill into it at the root, 
of the division is oftentimes people's sense of identity, who is on their team, and what kind of worldview they have. So I don't want to, I mean, I'm sure there are some topics that it's hard to articulate what a middle ground would look like. Hmm. So racism, for example, like I think no one, it's very hard to imagine a world where someone would like argue that any, any degree of racism is good, right? Like that's not a, a space that can have a common ground. I think we can have conversations about race and identity and that you can have folks who have different perspectives still leave a conversation with more of a shared understanding of each other's views. Hmm. That's interesting. And sometimes I see, and this is more observational, but when there are those things that you would believe everyone would agree on, like racism, for example, racism being bad, you know, trying to show some sort of preferential favor towards someone based on the color of their skin. What you find sometimes in the open dialogue is that people then start to redefine what racism is so they can use it as a way to demonize the person that they're arguing with. So that that's probably part of the thing you have to combat, too, is just trying to uh, come up with a common definition in order to get a common ground? I think uh, common definition or uh, alternatively, you can have norms. Again, I think it's norms are one of those really, it's again, it's a soft topic. It's hard to put a lot of specificity on this, but it's still possible to cultivate again in the community of, of listeners that you have, like the norms that they have about when somebody says something they disagree with, what is their reaction? And like, mm-hmm. do they process it? Do they seek to try and understand? Do they, do they act with curiosity as opposed to judgment or criticism? Like those are all norms that we can cultivate that don't require us to actually share the same definition or agree necessarily, but allow us to have a constructive dialogue. And even more importantly, allow us to see each other as belonging to the same community. That's the kind of most critical element of of reducing the polarization and toxicity is making, again, making us feel as though there is a we here that we both, we all belong to. Uh, Dan Vallone, U.S. Director of More in Common, in the website is Democracy for President. That's the website people can go to? Correct. Democracyforpresident.com. Okay. You're, you're very calm. Yeah. I mean, I can tell that you're able to, you have this certain energy to you. What's, what's something that annoys you? Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I thank you. I appreciate that. I, I think maybe it was the starting my career in the army that has allowed me to be a relatively calm person. So I think doing what I, doing what I do, it, it does, I, I get frustrated when, people see social media and they assume that that is representative reality. I think that's a, that is something that I really struggle with because I want us to know each other as we actually are and then deal, deal with the real differences and divisions that we have in our country as opposed to what we think we have, which is exacerbated through social media. Oh, yeah. Amplified, exaggerated. You're right. All of these things that happen on there are not a true representation of, I think, the real... American spirit. And that's why I I talk about this on the show. If it wasn't for doing this radio program, I wouldn't be on social media. I just don't Mm -hmm. care enough to have to drudge through all the garbage in order to get something that's worthwhile reading. And it's just, it's the the analysis of trying to, you know, the cost analysis of the time you put into it versus what you get out of it. Never there. Uh, So that's why I'm always leery when you read something online, not to react to it. 
or not to feel like you have to react to it. So many people feel like they're forced to react to things, like they have to uh, go out there and do something. It's probably good to uh, ignore a lot of what you see on there. And keep in mind, there's real people that really do want to talk to you, and a lot of those people are not real. <laughs> so <laughs> you got to try to keep that in perspective. Um, Dan Valone, and I got to say, I really enjoyed the last half hour our conversations here. And again, if people wanted to see you online, where can they find you? We're at democracyforpresident.com. And I agree, Ryan, really enjoy the conversation. Thank you for what you're doing and appreciate the chance to talk with you. Great. Uh, Dan Vallone is the U.S. Director of More in Common, looking to uh, rebuild some of those civil discussions like we had here. And I thought it was wonderful learning from that. He joins us on the Quiver River Electric Guest Line on Overnight America KMOX. This is Overnight America, sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts. Michaelsflooringoutlet.com on KMOX. In Overnight America, wraps things up here in just a couple of minutes. And I got to mention that I'm always, always open for you to connect with us online. Ryan Recker Radio, that's the way to do it. Ryan Recker Radio. You know, it would be nice, too, if you drop me a message on there. Do I need to? How many times do I need to solicit the idea? I'd like for you to go on to the Facebook page and like it. Even if uh, you don't like Facebook, you can like Ryan Recker Radio. That would be a nice thing for you to do. And I was posting some, uh, some statistics, and I talked about them earlier in the show. I am moving up on the Apple Podcast charts. Right now, the Overnight America podcast is ranked 138th in the world. No, I take that back. In the United States for news commentary category. Not the world. (laughs) United States news commentary. In fact, we're actually doing much better in New Zealand. We're the 65th most listened to news commentary podcast in New Zealand. That's kind of cool, right? Should I, I should be able to brag just a little bit about that. I just enjoy that there are people that will listen to the Overnight America podcast. And there's people that like it. I like that you like it. So if you want to uh, go and give us a download, that would be nice. I'm trying really hard to get in the top 100 of the news commentary podcast. That'd be cool of you. If you don't already listen to it, go subscribe, download the podcast, download all of them. You know, that's even better. But just in general, if you want to share it with your friends, that's a great way to keep up with it too. Doesn't look like we have a lot of things that I had on the schedule today that we didn't get a chance to talk about. I had this one story from Wired about if it's okay to make your dog a vegan. I don't think so. Now, in fact, I don't even need to read the article to note that it's probably a bad idea to cut all meat out of your dog's diet, or at least not meat as in, um, you know, I'm sure you're not cooking up hamburger patties for your dog all the time, but the protein and things that definitely would be included as part of some of the foods that go into your dog's food. Could you actually give it an all-vegan diet? No, probably not, and still keep your dog healthy. I know a lot of times people have tried to do this with their dogs, and they become so malnourished that a lot of them, they just don't survive. Maybe I'll save that for tomorrow. You know what the other thing was, too, about the stimulus package? I've been trying to keep up and see what's going to happen with that, so I guess the Republicans will be putting forth... A proposal that would be what they call a skinny package. It doesn't have any individual checks like the last one. Mostly it's just uh, work, PPP loans for businesses, things like that. So no direct payments included. The Direct payments are interesting because that's going to be a bulk of where a lot of that money goes that will just continue to drive us back into debt. Now, you might get a nice $1,200 check or whatever, 
you might be happy with it. Oh, yay, look, the money's coming in. But then we look at the national debt ticker and we realize that somehow it's going to be paid back. And, oh, how about that? Uh, you, someone that is an income earner, will have to probably pay a lot more of that back in the long run. So it's, yeah, you might get it front up, but you know the ones that aren't going to be paying it back are the ones that are probably no income earners. So, you know, those that have no income or those that are here that, uh, you know, in general just find ways to hide it better or whatever. So it's it kind of scares me a little bit to see the way this debt is rising up. I think we'll get a better idea of what the Senate may be looking at later this week. I know they do want to make something. Who knows? There might be more negotiations and things could change by this time tomorrow. We'll be back 8 o'clock. I hope you can join us. Now, keep in mind, Kansas City Chiefs got a day game at 4 o'clock. We'll be on right after for Overnight America. I hope you have the rest of your great night, and uh, we'll, we'll talk to you soon. Sleep well. Bye. My heart beats with the lonely rain Wishing I could see your face again Audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Doncic. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening.